You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Oh man, it's Monday. It's Monday at one o'clock Eastern. What's that mean? So it's it's 11 o'clock Mountain Time. I'm Pete Mento and that's Doug Draper. So you know what it means. Yeah. It's time for Global Trade This Week. How's it going, Doug? Good. We're going to rocket fire this one, I, uh, this episode, because I'm a little fired up, right, oh, for no. a variety of reasons. But there may be some of this, there may be some of that, and are we, um, we going to shake Troy, our feet? Are we going to shake? Up? Oh, Troy's even mad. Oh man. <laughs> so yes, yes, we were uh, good. Good weekend. Good travels last week for you. Yeah, it was in Portland, Oregon, and San Diego. I got home late Saturday night, and I'm leaving for Dallas today. So I'll um, I'll be down in our regional headquarters, which they call Big Tech's. I, I mean, it's gigantic, but I don't know. But big text kind of annoys me as a Texan. It's very frankly. Yeah. Big text. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, let's, let's just get into it. I can't. Uh, I'm so fired up. On, yeah. Um, yeah. We were going to we were going to tag team the first uh, the first topic. Weren't we done? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm going to let you kick it off because my okay. my comments dovetail in into yours. When I saw your topics, I'm like, yep. I'm I, I can uh, I can get I can get on board with that one. So you start it off, and then I'll chime in as needed, and then we'll have each one of our own topics after halftime. Yeah. So uh, I've been sitting through a lot of automation. Uh, I guess you call them um, what demos, right? Where someone sits me through and shows me their their AI automation and their um, machine learning tools that they're trying to sell the company I work for now. And um, first I tell them I have no authority and I have no power. Why am I watching this? Uh-huh. And then I end up sitting through it for 20 minutes anyway, and because they're friends of mine. And uh, then they talk to me about how this e-broker is using this tool and this e-broker is using that tool. And I'm like, well, great. That's, I'm really happy for them. But um, again, I think we're good. And then, uh, you know, I start thinking about all this, right? Like there's all this work that's being done by customs house brokers where the, the review and the input and a lot of the work that brokers would generally do is actually happening outside the country. And there's a problem with that, Doug. The problem is the new compliance rules on customs house brokers require that anything that is customs work, well, it always was supposed to have been, is done by customs house brokers. And what is customs work now is not so broadly defined. It's very acutely defined. So this kind of work being done without supervisory control by an actual customs house broker in the United States, you're not going to be able to do it anymore. So a lot of the smoke and mirror, mirror, that's probably not a word, smoke and mirror stuff that's being done to cover up the inaccuracy of the data, the inaccuracy of the technology itself in places like the Philippines and India at a lower cost in order to maintain its accuracy. It's going to be a problem, Doug. And if it's ever uncovered or discovered by the folks at CBP, they might have to shut it down. And it's, it's a broader problem because across our entire industry, we're just using more and more and more automation. And I, I posted about this on LinkedIn today. There's this, this great song by Sturgill Simpson, who, I mean, and I'm actually, <laughs> uh, you know, I love Sturgill. And he's got a song that it kind of quotes 17th century regression theory, right? You know, it's turtles all the way down the line. They're like, well, the earth is flat. So, what does the earth sit on? You know, well, you know, 
the earth is on the back of a giant tortoise that goes around the sun. Okay, well, what's that tortoise on? What's on another tortoise? And what's that tortoise on? What's on another tortoise? It's just turtles all the way down the line. Oh, I see. Right. So what, what system is watching this system? Well, another system. And what AI is watching that AI? Well, more AI. Well, somewhere down the line, people have to be engaged. And the government holds this person engaged for his license. Mm-hmm. So somewhere down the line, they're going to give someone a fine. And it won't be R2-D2 or HAL 9000. It's going to be Pete Mento who loses his license over. So at what point are, are well, first of all, at what point is customs going to start calling these people on the carpet? And at what point are customers going to start to get a little shaky about this technology? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the the key thing there is when when it all goes automated, right, um, and AI gets involved, there is no room for human manipulation, right? Or if you don't have all the data elements inside, right? And so the best way I'm describing this, and I do not know any specific example that this is happening, but I know it's happening, right? Mm-hmm. Where you've been pushing the button on an entry for, for a customer you've been working with forever. It's a commodity. They may change it slightly, but you're just pushing the button to, uh, to do the customs clearance. Well, AI in some instances is going to expose that you're not intentionally doing anything in, uh, um, wrong, but for some reason, what you've been doing for the last seven years isn't 100% right because you just have a relationship with this customer and you have um, been doing the same thing you've done forever and custom sees it and it just kind of goes along the way. You bring in some robots and automation, Pete, if there's any little nuance of what's not happening correctly will be exposed. And I think it's not ill will. I don't think people are trying to manipulate the systems as far as brokers, but there's going to be lots of little nuances that are going to pop up that, like you said, a human still has to be responsible for, and they're going to be like, oh, my God, um, I'm not sure I wanted, um, you, know, you know, like you said, R2-D2 or, or HAL 9000 involved with this. So I think it's probably good in the long term because it's going to clean things up. That's the whole point of, of a lot of automation is to streamline and, and get humans out of it because humans do make mistakes. Um, but I think once things turn on, it's going to be uh, a lot of Little things are going to pop up and then people are going to hold on and say, wait, 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 hold, hold on a second. I wasn't intentionally trying to do this. And, and then it'll be it'll be interesting. The um, the piece I wanted to add on this, Pete, is more on the domestic side um, related to automation that goes into the movement of the goods. And we've talked about this before, but it just got me fired up today uh, when I saw a guy driving a, a, a trucker cruising down on the street when I was uh, heading into work is that I, I did some research. So according to um, a, ATA, American Truckers Association, 96%, 95.8% of every single truck you see on the road has 10 trucks or less, right? You see the logo trucks, the FedEx, the Werners, the Swifts, the Knights, all that kind of stuff. 96% are guys like you and me that are just trying to get the job done, trying to navigate the insurance craziness that's popped up because of... Uh, nuclear verdicts. You're trying to keep people interested in doing the job. And I'm just trying to put food on the table, put enough money in my back pocket so I can retire and and keep things moving forward. And now you want me to carry some device or download something on my um, on my phone. So what the activity I'm doing is automatically updated into some system so you can show it. Just, just call me. I don't have time for this, right? I'm trying to get through this gate to get my ocean container to get the hell out of there so I don't have hours of service. I don't get 
in a wreck with my insurance. And so until things are um, linear, I, I can't remember the term that we, you know, the uh, owning the rails and going vertical, which is not going to happen anytime soon, specifically with trucking in the United States, it's going to be real difficult to use automation to fix some of those problems. It, it, it may look that way to the user of that technology, but the reality is there's still guys and gals in their early 20s trying to get in the industry that are just banging the phones, trying to figure out where the stuff is and, and how's it going to get there. And so automation's good, but I think it could expose some unintended consequences with compliance. Not that anybody's trying to hide anything or do anything wrong, but it's going to come to the surface. And then until our industry is vertically integrated on all, all levels, just overlaying some technology that you see in a 20-minute presentation, it, it's not going to change. And it's not going to be vertically integrated for a very, very long time, specifically related to domestic trucking. There's two pieces of that that got my attention. The first is that that old trope, right? Garbage in, garbage out. You know, whatever whatever junk goes in the system, it's going to snowball on its way out. And when you have these systems that are automated from the point of of export or even pickup, by the time it gets to customs, I mean, imagine how many mistakes have been snowballed into mistakes that have been snowballed into mistakes. And if it's not being watched, I mean, we want to talk about just a catastrophic error on top of a catastrophic error. And that leads to this this other side of it where if the user is lazy or if the user doesn't want to do it, where's the enforcement? Who's it going to be enforced upon? Mm-hmm. And if you have a lot of small-time operators who are just doing it out of spite, where's that going to put us? How, how accurate, how useful is that information? Is that data actually going to be resilient? And is there any utility in gathering it in the first place? Is it, what kind of pushback is it going to take? How long is it going to take for that, that data to be useful for people like us and for our customers and clients. I'm not sure the integrity is going to be there for quite some time, pal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And I think some of the unintended consequences, you know, we've talked, well, everybody's talked about COVID and the impacts it's had on our industry. You know, the unintended consequences of COVID that nobody ever thought that showing their, uh, uh, being present years after the pandemic is over that we're like, yeah, that's kind of because of COVID, right? Why can't kids read anymore? And and why do they have no attention span? And why is this a second grade kid that's never been in school in his life that doesn't know how to write his own name? Um, it Like the unintended consequences of what's going to happen a couple of years down the road is yet to be seen or defined. And, and you're, you're just starting with it now. Yeah. So imagine what those unintended consequences of pure data integration are going to look like. And then the unwinding of it, if we ever, because right now there's no connectivity between all these companies and all these systems. What happens if someday we come up with a way to have connectivity? Now you're going to have to unwind all this stuff mm-hmm. so that maybe it can work together. All that investment that companies are making. Well, now we have something new you have to invest in if you want them all to talk together. Great. You know, it's, it's like everything else. You know, you put millions of dollars into software integration. Now you got to do it all over again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I shouldn't yeah. complain. You know, there's a lot of money in our industry for it. But I worry about our clients and, and and how they're going to put up with it and all the toughness it's going to take for them to have to deal with it in this environment. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you know what people don't have to uh, endure and deal with is 
uh, a, a halftime that is boring and, and not interesting. And that's where we are right now, Pete, is going into halftime, right? Oh, that was a pretty piss poor transition that I tried to do my best you, at. In, in you, the love, you love the transitions too much. You, um, you I was forced a little too that, much. That one was forced. And I apologize to you and our audience for that one. But we are here nonetheless. And it's brought to you by Cap Logistics. Um, Please check out caplogistics.com for transportation needs and services. They gave us the platform. Speaking of platforms, Pete, let's, uh, you want to go first? You want me sure. to go first? Let her rip. Yeah. Uh, I think I've spoken on the, 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 the show before that I like to listen to music when I work. And a lot of the times when I listen to music, when I work, I will pick musical genres and artists where I do not understand the language. Have I told you that before, Doug? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, in order for me not to be distracted while I am working, I will listen to Palestinian hip hop or um, one of my personal favorites right now is Samoan death metal. There's a great band called Shepherd's Rain. Uh, also, New Zealand death metal, uh, alien, alien weaponry, I think is what it's called. I have no idea what these people are saying. Absolutely none. So when I'm working, the lyrics really don't distract me. Now, after a while, if I listen to it, I start saying the words in my head, even though I have no idea what they mean. Mm -hmm. um, but I also listen to a lot of jazz when I work in classical music. And uh, my daughter, when I listen to jazz, will say to me, that's old person music. And uh, this has been... This has been um, supported by a lot of people recently, Doug, that uh, listening to jazz is a great, it's a great indicator that you are a boring old fart, that um, you're probably also a little stuck up and snobby. And it's kind of bugging me, Doug. So um, just wanted your opinion. Jazz, is it for uh, old, boring men? And are you a jazz guy? Um, I'd say no for old, boring men. Am I a jazz guy? Uh, probably not. But I have to tell you that probably like in my late 20s, I'd be the jazz guy. And I think it was more just trying to pretend to be older than I was because it had just after I bought my first house and I'm sitting there on Sunday morning, you're getting your coffee and actually would get a paper that you would touch and feel. And I'd throw all the crap out and thin it down to maybe like, four sections that really matter. And I would go on the porch and I think David Sanborn was one of the guys that I listened to. If you, I don't know if that name rings a bell at all. He was a uh, saxophone maybe. So I'd be on my porch with my paper and my coffee and it'd be eight or nine o'clock on a Sunday. And so I kind of got into it a little bit at that time, but um, yeah, I'm more into like New Zealand death metal now. It's really kind of my thing. Samoan death metal. Should I, should I send you some uh, some shepherd's rain? Yeah, it's great stuff. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, do you feel bad that I mean, do you, does it make? Not, let me let me rephrase that. Do you feel old and uh, your your uh, daughter? No. you're validating your daughter's statements. Not really. I mean, uh, for for me, man, like jazz is is a New Orleans thing. I really love going to a jazz place in New Orleans and sitting down. They always have like a two drink minimum. So once I'm there, I'm definitely gonna get my money's worth. And I will uh, you know, have two or three cocktails, listen to some some jazz musicians and just relax. It's very 
it's a good time, you know, turn my phone off and just um, listen to someone play some live music. I really enjoy it. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. All right. My, my halftime, Pete, is a little bit out of character for me because normally I, I um, naysay science and space nerds and stuff like that. But I tell you what, I am pretty stoked about this asteroid sample that just landed in the Great Salt Lake uh, yesterday or maybe it was Saturday, right? So eight ounces or nine ounces of rock and soil that was landed on this asteroid, um, Bennu, I think, B-E-N-N-U. Um, and, um, that's freaking amazing. Like we landed on a rock, gathered some info and, and, um, and it came back. Right. So here's the popular theory. Um, this will help us determine that an, this is an asteroid crashed into the earth billions of years ago and had the fundamental ingredients to create life. Yeah. I could have told you that without getting 8.8 ounces of dirt and rock from an asteroid, right? That's probably on a 30,000 foot level, probably pretty close to what happened. So I wanna focus on the here and the now as far as how amazing it is that this thing happened. First of all, this spacecraft was in uh, its mission for like seven years, right? It landed on a freaking asteroid. It took a sample, it brought it back, and then some other spacecraft dropped it from 63,000 miles, and it landed in an area that was designated uh, that it was supposed to, to land in. That, to me, is freaking amazing. It's tangible, and it speaks to volumes of the, the technology and advancement that we've come to as a society to do that kind of thing. Now, I could have told you that the rock's going to say that the, 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 the Earth is really old, and there's some collisions that happened that created life, right? I don't, I don't care about that. What impresses me is the technology that's here and now that enabled that whole thing to transpire in the last seven years. So that's the call out uh, for my halftime is the cool technology that's with us right now, not what happened billions of years ago. Well, let's take it from the top. Um, first of all, Doug, there was, um, it was, it was not an asteroid colliding with earth that formed human beings. It was aliens that came to Earth. It was aliens that came to Earth and embedded whatever, you know, primordial soup was here with their genetics. And we we are we are the basic, you know, um evolution based on alien integration with our DNA. So we'll just start there. All right. Um, second of all, we, we, I'm, I'm convinced that we went and did all of this to understand what it would take to destroy an asteroid on its way to the earth. Because in the past, the earth was hit by an asteroid when a civilization was already here and it wiped out early or, or almost wiped out early humankind because I'm all about this ancient civilization's crap up. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure one predated us, but you know, back to the original uh premise i i too am humiliated intellectually whenever i hear about stuff like this like i'm you know i'm the guy that's usually got to take apart the ikea furniture and put it back together again the right way once at least when i realize i did something wrong with the instructions i'll i'll tool on my jeep all day long that's intuitive to me but the idea of of a, a room full of a lot of people probably that spent most of their high school years probably being stuffed in lockers sat down with some amazing computer power and did this like from concept to execution and it worked 
Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Pretty agreed. Cool. Love it. Love it. Well, uh, obviously brought to you by Cap Logistics. We do a front end thank you and an end to halftime thank you. That way you have the bookends. Um, but love Cap. It, we wouldn't be here doing this without them. So thank you very much. All right. Who? I always, what, page two? Who's doing the second half here? You are, buddy. All right. So this is my take. Uh, we don't bring up the rail very much, right? So I don't think we talked about rail in like the last two months. Um, but I, I like rail. I love the industry. It's one of the key modes of moving product around not only the United States, but other parts of the world. I just think the rail industry is missing opportunities to highlight the benefits of moving goods um, in their system, right? Um, I think years ago, CX, CSX had like a marketing pitch where they said you could move a ton of cargo 500 miles for like a, one gallon of diesel, right? And that was even before the whole uh, carbon footprint and, and reduction and, and global warming really just started escalating. So. My point is, is that that's a huge marketing opportunity and um, facts that you can move a lot of cargo domestically in other parts of the world by minimizing your carbon footprint. It's always been there. They've always done that. They need to bring that um, more, more to the attention. Now, they only generate like 0.5% of the carbon uh, you know, emissions out there. But that's even bigger reason to raise your hand and say, everybody come on board because we don't impact the environment. You need to put more and more stuff on our trains and, and, and move things. So I think there's just, I don't know, they're, they're, they're missing it. Um, the whole automated, so that's one. Pete, the second one is the autonomous nature of our industry and how everybody wants to have autonomous trucks and autonomous cars. Well, when you look at a train, this is my personal perspective, Pete, as a person, that's like, gosh, I don't know if I want a robot driving a car or driving a truck down my highway, but a train, it's on fixed rails. And as it stands right now, there's a handful of conductors that are moving hundreds of rail cars. So the concept of saying, let's automate that whole thing. And uh, it's more secure because it is on rails and, and a fixed connection system versus drivers and cars zipping all around uh, you know, a highway like it's a gigantic fishbowl. That I, I don't think that there's been enough research. I know there has been, but the whole autonomous rail car thing is is a huge opportunity to speak to um, you know carbon footprint and 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 um, and taking things to the to the next level with taking humans out uh, of the process. And um, you know the whole idea of final mile, the driver shortages and things of that nature. Let the rail do the heavy lift from point A to point B and just let humans take care of the final mile stuff when they're in the, in the cities. And so when I, when I see um, news on rail that, that just isn't very exciting, it's just, to me, it's disappointing that there's so much there that can benefit the industry if it's properly messaged to the public and all the things that our industry and people in general want to see from a transportation entity, reduce your footprint, make it safer, autonomous nature of, uh, uh, of the mode. It just, it's crazy. It reminds me a lot of USPS that just can't get their act together and, and showcase and benefit, you know, the power and strength they have with their network. So anyway, I love the rail. I'm not bagging on the rail. I just think there's a lot more opportunity that people have or, or a lot more opportunity that's there 
that nobody's talking about or marketing or, or really taking that mode of transportation to the next level as a viable option when we're all trying to figure it out and, um, and, and save the planet and, uh, and, and, and reduce the footprint on, onto our, uh, onto our beautiful earth. So anyway, there's my rant on the, on the rail. You just couldn't help but get a dig in on my friends at the post office. Huh? Yeah, that's exactly. Right. I, that's exactly why I put it in there. Just right there in the moment, I put it in. <laughs> couldn't help yourself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's no question that adopting rail as a as a primary means of moving containers across the country is not only better for the environment; it's also more efficient. It's um, it's a clear it's a clear bridge to autonomous movement. It is shocking how few people actually work on on the physical side of of the, the the train piece, but there are a lot of people in the yards and the such. But I mean, that's that's entirely different. And the vast amount of cargo that moves on those trains, and we kind of take it for granted. I mean, if you think if you think about it, man, how often do you? Well, we do. I'm sure we think about it all the time. We see rail cars, and we're like, oh look, there goes a. But I wonder how often Americans do. If you don't live in the middle of the country, you probably don't even see them all that much moving uh, around, but they're, and I don't know the real statistics, but from what I understand, Doug, they're generally pretty safe, reliably safe. We do have more derailments than I think Americans realize, but they are generally safe compared to uh, just mathematically the number of, of times that we had, do have truck accidents or trucking or automotive accidents. How often does, does the derailment happen where we have catastrophic loss of cargo in human life? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still hung up on the whole infrastructure thing, man. We need more rails. We need more rail heads. We need to be able to create in such a way that we can take better advantage of it. And that comes down to a real estate problem. And uh, yeah, it's just it really tough to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just surprising that it's, it hasn't really gone. You know, the technology around parcel, the, the, the freight forwarding world that we spoke about two seconds ago, uh, all the, uh, the 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 trucking and thing it just it baffles me that it hasn't been brought to the forefront. I'm just reiterating my point, but uh, it, there's something there that's not being taken advantage of that could benefit a lot of people and a lot of industries and a lot of individuals. I agree. I completely agree. All right, bro, take us home. Yeah, uh, sort of a uh, I guess I'd say almost almost fringy. I don't want to call it a conspiracy theory because there's there's way too much academic rigor going into this, way too much academic analysis and and thought that's being put up against this. But there's a, a real question right now about whether or not the Chinese are being honest regarding their population numbers. We've spoken about this on the show many times. The demographic curve for China is not good. It's not good for a lot of countries, but when you talk about a population the size of China, it gets a lot of attention. By 2100, we expect that the population of China will be at least less than 800 million. It's possible that it could be as low as 700, but it will certainly be below a billion. Uh, and, and that's based on estimates of a Chinese population that is hovering somewhere between 1.2 and 1.4 billion people. There is very credible evidence that the Chinese government, the CCP, has been grossly overestimating population numbers for some time now. And there's two, there's two rails that come off of this now. The first would be 
because of why, right? So the first would be because when you look at the ability to raise an army and to be able to mobilize for a military conflict, you look at the age of men that you can put under arms. So there is actually um, a bit of fakery that you can use to force other people to monetize their military and industrial complex. So there's that. The second one would be because it helps you to empower yourself financially in the eyes of the rest of the world and to slow down any talk of a failing economy in order to prop up the investment into your economy. So 100 million people are believed, maybe more, uh, as that number that has probably been overestimated for the population of China. And if that's the case, those numbers go down even more dramatically. As we've said on the show many, many times, fertility rates are going down. The age of people having children is going up. The number of children all over the world that families have is going down. The availability of women versus men who are interested in having a family in China is going down. It's just not a good, it's not a good pyramid, right? It's not supposed to go that way. And China has been notoriously bad at allowing immigrants into its country. And so the likelihood of them being able to grow the population by adding in a fresh group of people that they want to, you know, bring into the great Chinese melting pot is outrageously low. This is bad news for an economy that's already under the microscope of global economic investment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the one thing, two things pop out to me on that one, it's kind of funny when everybody talks about the, the earth and how the population is growing and the earth can't sustain the growth. There's not enough food. There's people are going to kill the earth and all that kind of stuff. Right. And now here's a, uh, you know, messaging and talking about there's less people in the world and all of a sudden there's a panic and, and it's a, it's a dire situation. So that that's kind of a hard and maybe um, a perspective that people would be like, Draper's kind of an asshole, but everybody talks about, you know, how, how the population is going to destroy the earth. And then here's some statistics that say there's less people being born and that's bad too. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. That's that was one of those times where people who only listen to us and don't watch us really missed out. Really <laughs> yeah, very true. And uh, then the, the, the other thing. Oh, go ahead, Doug. Go ahead. No, no, no. The other the other thing is just it's hard to know what's real and what isn't when it's self reported mm -hmm. numbers. You know. Yep. Yeah. Um, and and trying to develop strategy and uh, positioning yourself from any country, whether it's the U.S. or otherwise, on false potentially, well, manipulated and potentially false information can be um, kind of scary and um, detrimental. So I, I don't know if we're going to get straight numbers on anything um, coming out of there that, that may put them at a position of weakness in, in uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the global um, economy, world power, so forth. Is it just a PSYOP, Doug? Is it Are what? A psyop, just a psychological operation. Are they just messing mm. with us, right? Uh, but the the idea, you know, that the population going down is going to solve all of our problems. The population might be going down, but our our absolute, I mean, tireless consumption of crap and our our need to manufacture more of it is not ending. We are 
we, we just consume more and more regardless of the number of people that we have and, and our desire to continue to manufacture it and move it uh, at great cost to the environment continues as well. Um, I don't know how to explain it. You know, the, the numbers are incredible that we continue to increase imports, even in a down economy and the production of goods all over the world, although it might be waning in one part of the world, it's increasing in others. And we're increasing the, the use of, of, of every type of raw material in order to get there. And we're seeking those raw materials farther and farther away from the source of production. So it's mm -hmm. just until people stop buying crap they don't need, this problem's not going to go away. That, that's really the source of the issue. It's just a desire to consume. And you just got to stop buying a bunch of junk you don't need, man. That's how you stop this problem. And yeah. that ain't stopped it. Well, that's a good way to end. I have no transition. I'm not even going to attempt that. Um, so we will just uh, call, it, uh, call it a wrap. We'll wrap this thing up. Call it another successful edition of Global Trade This Week. Comes to you every single week, hence the name in the title of our show. And um, Cap Logistics makes it all happen. So a namaste out to Cap. And um, I think that's it. So, Pete, we'll catch you next week. And um, that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. See you, buddy. All right. Take care.